Welcome back to Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. I'm your host, Doug Maurice, and we're back talking Browns again. Uh, Cody Sook, good guy, good guest, contributor on the Browns at Waiting for Next Year. Check out his work online. He's the only guest this week. We talked for a while. Uh, we're trying to do this thing. I want to hit you with five Browns headlines, and then we'll get into my interview with Cody um, but yeah, you know, set the table a little bit, see what we're talking about. So one is, I think we've overreacted a bit to Freddie Kitchens. I think some people are acting like this was a completely wild swing between incompetence from the Browns head coach in the first three games and genius career saving in game four. And I think probably we're overreacting a little bit on both ends. I think there's probably not... I mean, there's obviously a contrast between the, what the Browns did in the first three games and what they did in week four against the Ravens. I think it maybe isn't as, as stark of a contrast as we're making it out to be. Um, I think they weren't as off as some said in the beginning, and maybe it wasn't as perfect this week. Um, so anyway, just chill on Freddie, man. It's all good. Wishbone Freddie, it's all good. Number two, Baker Mayfield got rid of the ball very quickly, and Cody and I will talk about that. We all know that he got the ball rid of the quickly, uh, get rid of the ball quickly in week four. Um, I still want to see Baker hold on and and be patient and trust his protection when it's there and rip throws down the field uh, a couple times per game. Per game, so I'm here. I get it. Get it out of his hands. Good. Um, I think you can overdo it with the quick passing attack sometimes. And I think we have to live in a world where Baker Mayfield can trust his protection and can allow Odell Beckham to work his magic downfield a little bit. And so um, let's make sure that we we hope they continue to emphasize that because it's worth it. Number three is Nick Chubb, a top five back in the NFL. Think about that. Think about that as Cody and I get ready to talk about that. Is it possible right now Nick Chubb is a top five running back in the NFL? Get that answer in your head and see what you think. Number four, I think they've got to be four and three. After seven games, they're two and two right now. San Francisco, Seattle, New England coming up. I think two and one is absolute expectation in those three games. Um, I never thought they were going to be two and five. Some people did, but I'm also not sitting here at this point thinking they're going to be five and two. So I think we can start looking at the season in chunks like that. I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. Certainly first half, second half, but let's see them be at least four and three through week seven. And then a little dip into who they're going to pay next year. And Cody has a guy probably at the top of his list of, of the uh, the cut below the true superstars on the team. Who would you pay next among guys who need a contract? Joe Schobert up there for Cody, and he makes a case for that. So that's what we're going to be talking about on Takes by the Lake. We appreciate you guys listening. Again, I'm Doug Maurice. You can follow me online uh, on Twitter at Doug Maurice. Do our Project Text. That's getting Mary Kay Cabot text on the Browns plus our Browns Insider. I contribute to that. Just did a thing the other day about Odell Beckham and his targets. Um, four, no, $3.99 a month. $3.99 a month. Check out cleveland.com slash Browns. 14-day free trial to figure that out. Or try it on Ohio State. That's where I am. Send in texts multiple times a day. Um, if you care about this kind of thing, I'm going to be in Grapevine, Texas on Wednesday and Thursday 
participating in the mock NCAA uh, playoff committee thing that they hold every year. Um, I finally got invited to go to that, so we get to pretend that we are uh, members of the playoff committee. We actually will be evaluating teams from the 2014 season, which is when Ohio State won the national championship. So I'll get to decide if whether I think Ohio State should have been in the playoff or not. And I'm sure if I decide they should not have been in the playoff, I'll make lots of friends out there. So anyway, that's the kind of thing I'll be texting about this week. Try me out, cleveland.com slash OSU. Get the information there. Again, four bucks a month. Uh, text from me all the time. So... That's what I'm plugging. Drop an iTunes review. A couple nice iTunes reviews lately. We appreciate that. But let's get to our man, Cody Sook. Um, Good stuff from him coming up. Talking all about the Browns here on your Cleveland All Sports podcast that's mostly about the Browns. Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. Happy to be joined for the first time here on Takes by the Lake by Cody Sook, who is a Browns contributor to Waiting for Next Year. Uh, good stuff over there. Those guys do fun, uh, fun, really good work. Hope you guys are checking out their website. Um, but Cody um, just has good Twitter presence and like I like what he thinks about the Browns. So Cody is on Takes by the Lake and I appreciate your time, Cody. Hey, Doug, thanks for having me on. A uh, very happy Victory Monday to you. You know, I think most of the Cleveland fan base has big smiles on their face today, especially after those first three weeks that we went through. Yeah, it is uh it is very interesting and we're going to dig into the game. There's a couple points that we want to hit. Um let me ask you that we talked only very briefly before we came on air. So this is all raw. This is live, people. These are our real thoughts and emotions. What did you think that it was a drastic um completely different offense that we went from like on the verge of being fired, Monken should call plays kind of Freddie back to genius Freddie? Or do you think it was, you know, something that obviously he did a better job, but maybe it wasn't quite as stark of a contrast? Overall, what did you think of the true difference between game four and what we saw in the first three weeks? I think for parts of the first three weeks, you know, some of the play design was there. But I think some of the problem was execution across the board, from Baker to Beckham to Landry to the offensive line. Across the board, there were troubles there. But the play design, in essence, was there. But I think this week, we got back to the more of the, the misdirection, the, the creativity, the innovation that we were used to and that we coveted from weeks 9 through 17 of last year. You know, through the first three weeks, both Freddie and Baker – were panned by the national media outlets and analysts. There were words used as overrated, overhyped, and it was a shotgun marriage. Buddy's overwhelmed, you know. And all of a sudden, yesterday, we saw it come crashing down in almost glorious fashion, and no better team to do it against than the Ravens, who were in the lead in the division coming in. But I think we saw the Fred we wanted to see, it coupled with the execution is what I would say really happened in week four. You know, we had the triple reverse Beckham deep throw to Ratley that he probably should have caught. We had the pitch option from Landry where he could have thrown the ball to Beckham almost for a touchdown. It was just great to see everything kind of come to fruition in this week four game. Did you were you uh did you find perhaps that you had tears of joy rolling down your cheeks on the Landry Beckham option? I feel like that was like a moment where like uh, Cleveland just 
it was like, um, you know, the sun rising in the morning, that it was like the beginning of a new era that, look, there's, you know, there's Odell Beckham um, running next to his best friend and they're running the option together. Did you feel something in your body when that happened? Well, it, it gives you chills when you think about these two best friends, you know, growing up, going to LSU together, dreaming of playing on the same team. I think Beckham even said he had a dream about them playing together. And to see Beckham on the lead block for Landry almost going to the end zone, it's incredible. And the whole Beckham situation itself is incredible because months ago, everybody heard the rumors, you know, the Browns were looking at Odell Beckham. How great would it be to get Odell Beckham? And he's on our team now. He is a cornerstone of this team, the organization, and the attitude. You know, he's a, I'm all in on this. You know, I don't need to have 12 targets a game to be successful. And we saw that yesterday. We saw him making blocks downfield, cheering for his teammates, and just being that presence that he needs to be to succeed. And I did. Had this, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, I did. I, 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 his presence, that's one of those things. Um, I was thinking about it. It reminded me a little bit. And I mean, he's Odell Beckham. He doesn't remind you of anybody. He's he's a rare talent. Um, but I remember in when Ohio State in the 2006 National Championship game against Florida, when Ted Ginn Jr. runs the opening kickoff back for a touchdown and then he gets tackled in the celebration and is out for the game. And everybody talked about how they had so much planned for Ginn in that game and, and that their offense kind of went south after that. But it's just that you took his presence off the field, that his just just being there changes everything that a defense has to do. And just Odell Beckham being on the field changes everything that a defense has to do. And when he's running the option with Jarvis Landry and the defender on the edge is just like, well, I'm going to take Beckham away as the pitch guy and let Landry run free. That's his presence. When when um, Seals Jones gets open deep because two defenders go with Odell Beckham and he's behind the play pumping his fist, you know, Odell Beckham doesn't get a catch on that play. He doesn't get a stat on that play. But his presence just being on the field completely shifts everything about this offense. And, I, you know, that's sort of what you're talking about. We we saw that, I thought, to a huge degree yesterday. And you can imagine how that's going to work the rest of the year, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny, like, when you look at Beckham, just his presence, you know. So the Browns led, led the league weeks one through three and 11 personnel. We saw that. And let's say you shift to safety or you double-team Beckham. Well, now when the team's fully healthy, you're going to have to deal with Landry in the slot. You're going to have to deal with Higgins across the field, maybe running the Z opposite Beckham. You're going to have to deal with Antonio Callaway, Ricky Seals-Jones, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, David Njoku. There's just no answer for this offense when it's at full force and with Beckham at that presence, you know. And you mentioned Ricky Seals-Jones, and I saw a stat that was great on that play earlier. He had uh, 8.8 yards of separation between a defender and himself on that touchdown, on that 56-yard play, which was the most for um, a Browns receiver. On a touch- Sorry, on a touchdown from Beck- Baker. It's just, really? He's, yeah. He's just there, and he's, he's formidable in his it- persona and his ability. It, it, it is. And, and I do think, though, so all that all that is a is a plus. He he earns his money just by showing up in uniform. Um, but um, it was interesting yesterday. And they, they're not going to have every part of the offense fully clicking at 100 percent at all times. You're not going to have a game 
where Chubb has three touchdowns and has as many yards as he had, and also have Landry going nuts. Um, and not Landry, also have Odell going nuts. Chubb and Landry go nuts. Odell takes a back seat statistically. But I do think, ideally, you know, he had a couple opportunities yesterday. There was, a, you know, drew a flag, had other plays where he probably should have drawn a flag. Um, I still think they are they still are finding the balance. It felt like maybe to some people, I think maybe thought they over-targeted Beckham in the first three weeks. And then I think yesterday, maybe in the end, they might have under-targeted him a little bit. Do you feel like they still are in a path of working toward the the perfect balance for this offense with everybody involved? Or do you think, you know, like yesterday was pretty close to it? I, I think, you know, you want to get your playmakers the ball. And the Browns have a plethora, plethora of playmakers at their disposal this year. Now, in the first three weeks, yeah, Baker was thrown into double coverage, I believe, at the league leading or the top quarter of the league leading in that statistic, you know. And most of those targets were going to Beckham to try to maybe force the ball to him. But I think going forward, it's going to be like you said, it's going to be throw the ball to the open man, and there's going to be an open man on virtually majority of plays with this offense. And Baker has to get into a concept that he has other guys to throw the ball to. It doesn't have to go to Beckham. We want Beckham to get the ball. He can make those plays even when he's covered one-on-one. But you have so many other guys at your disposal that – the targets should be spread around various routes, various play designs, various concepts to make sure that I'm not a believer in the keep everybody happy type thing. I think if you're winning games, everybody's going to be happy. But I believe that Baker would do a good job of spraying the ball around and Beckham will get his targets and his stats in the end almost by default because he's such an incredible football player. I do think in the end, I think some chunk of this, and this is the battle we have every week in trying to determine um, how good a team is, and it happens with Ohio State all the time, you think an opponent might be decent, and then if you beat them handily, then your instinct is to say, man, that other team must stink. Um, I think that that Baltimore defense perhaps was not quite as formidable as maybe we thought going into that game. That I, They're going to face some tougher defenses where um, – they are going to need Odell that even, you know, not just Odell as a decoy, they're going to face some teams where it's like, man, we really need to be able to get the ball to him on, on third and eight because he, you know, getting him the ball is going to make a difference in the game. Do you, do you agree? Or do you think that that Baltimore defense is pretty good? I think, I think they've definitely taken a, taken a step back from the previous years. You know, they've had some turnover there, but I, I think the team executed well yesterday, but they, we saw against the Chiefs as well. They can be beat in the passing game and especially across the middle, et cetera, I think the Browns will face better defenses down, down the way where, like you said, maybe you do have to force the ball to him if he's there. But I think the Ravens are still a very, very good football team on both sides of the ball, and they fluttered a little bit yesterday. Some blown coverages on offense. You know, Jackson was missing some targets. He doesn't necessarily miss this year. Um I think they're going to be fine overall, but they're going to have to be in a position where they're going to face defenses that are far better than Baltimore played yesterday. The um, I saw you tweet a stat. What was it about how, how Baker held the ball much less yesterday? Right? Didn't I, didn't you tweet a stat that he got rid of the ball the second most quickly of any of any quarterback this weekend? Yeah, from next gen stats, he had. They have a stat called time to throw, which it takes the average time from snap to throw for each quarterback each week. 
Now, from weeks one through three, he was over three seconds, which was in the bottom tier of all quarterbacks, where this week he was the second fastest at 2.44 seconds, only behind Carson Wentz at 2.43 seconds. I think part of that is because he was getting more comfortable this week, had a better pocket presence. You know, those first three weeks, not so another stat, the PFF has something called the taking yourself out of rhythm stat. Yep. Which is where a quarterback escapes a clean pocket or they pass on an open receiver, and he was far and above the leader in that statistic the first three weeks. Right. This week, he seemed so much better in week four. He was stepping up in the pocket instead of doing what was almost becoming a habitual fading and back and to the right. And when you do that, you cut your field at a quarter, your targets are limited, your passing lanes are limited. So this week, he's stepping up in the pocket. He's getting rid of the ball quicker, which is his obvious strength. It always has been. You know, he's always been better in situations where his dropbacks are less than 2.5 seconds. You know, we've seen that with the, the read pass option and all those type things where he's gets the ball out quicker, he's more successful. Uh, I do think, um, again, I felt this was such a tilt back the other way that I still do think that in the end, the right balance is somewhere in the middle. He was obviously holding the ball. You could, I mean, the, the statistics showed that through the first three weeks and just your eyeball showed you that of like, man, like this guy is is not seeing things as well as you would expect him to see it, especially that David Njoku, the the play where he got injured, I think exhibited right. that more than anything, where he seemed open initially in the middle of the field and Baker holds it so long he puts Njoku in a dangerous situation. I do understand the idea that at times he's going to need to hold the ball if you're going to try to call a route to get Beckham open on a double move or, or give Beckham time to really beat coverage and get down the field a little bit I almost felt I thought for instance and they got so much better after this but the first very first play on Sunday they tried to throw that quick pass I think it maybe even was supposed to go to Beckham and it got batted down um, right at the line of scrimmage and there were times where this is silly and I don't really mean it but it like it almost felt too fast to me that like I I get it when you're doing RPO stuff and when you're doing some of these things that it's a pass that's almost like a run that you're just getting the ball out of your hand immediately and getting it to the playmaker but I like Baker in the pocket I like Baker when he's comfortable and when he's not escaping clean pockets I like letting him drop back and step up and like really fire a ball in the middle of the field so I understand in the first couple weeks he was holding it too long He's not throwing in rhythm. I felt like week four, he was throwing in that very quick rhythm a lot of the time. But the the rhythm that I like best of him is like a nice five or maybe even seven-step drop where he sits, sets himself, looks, steps up, and rips it. And he can absolutely make those throws. And so as good as week four was, I still feel like when you have maybe a little of some, you know, fewer quick throws – Certainly fewer moments where you're holding the ball and escaping a clean pocket and scrambling for no reason and more in the middle. As good as week four was, I still feel like you could absolutely see how it can be better. Do you feel like they are still on a path where like, yeah, that was good, but we can see where they still can get to? Yeah, I agree. I think part of it comes down to the offensive line. You know, for those five and seven step drops, you have to have. The, the protection up front to be able to execute in that situation. You know, all he needs, in my opinion, is just 
give him average to above average time to throw and time to execute to get the ball to his playmakers, and they'll be fine. Because you want to see those deep balls, like you said. Yes, getting the ball out of his hands fast is, is imperative, but you also want to have the deep attack, which is what Todd Monken was known for his whole time in Tampa Bay. He was sending an 11 personnel, deep attack, be aggressive at the right times and to the right players. I think something yesterday where Baker showed a little more comfortable was because they varied the use of the personnel usage. Yep. So we saw we were in 11, first three weeks, 84% clip, league leading, you know. Yesterday we get into more of the 12 personnel that Freddie was known for last year where the Browns were, I think, number two in the league in air yards per attempt out of 12 personnel. Now we go to week four, and we compare week three to week four for personnel. Week three, the Browns only ran 24 – sorry, weeks one through three, the Browns only ran 24 plays out of 12 personnel with 3.9 yards per play. We come into week four, 24 plays, 11.4 yards per play. And one of those was on the Nick Chubb 88-yard camper, which was incredible. Right. I think part of that, with Baker being comfortable and getting the time, may be a situation where you bring in an extra body. Even if you're just getting a shoulder pad on somebody, an edge defender or an outside linebacker, you're getting Baker more time and more comfortable with an extra body on the line. Cody, this is uh, this is how I tell when I, I think someone has a good answer to a question is when your answer has me writing down seven more questions that I want to ask you as you're giving the answer because you're bringing up more interesting things. So there's a lot of things there with the 12 personnel, with the tight ends, with the belief in the offensive line that I want to cover. Let's stick with the tight ends first. Higgins has been out for a bit, so it's not like they only missed Higgins this week, but Rashard Higgins, we know his connection with Baker Mayfield. He's going to be back at some point. I I don't know when, but he'll be back. Antonio Callaway is back this week. Um, They're going to finally get back in a position where they're going to have those four receivers that I think they believe in. And then when Odell Beckham is throwing a ball 60 yards down the field to somebody, it won't be uh, Ratley. It'll be Callaway or Jarvis or Rashard Higgins. It feels like to me it's easier, even though if they know, and I think I felt this in week one, I think they know they're good out of 12 personnel. But it's like, listen, we have Odell, Jarvis, and Higgins. Those are three of our best skill guys. We've got to get them on the field. And I felt like they were reluctant to run as much 12 personnel based on the guys on their roster now. Do you think when they get all their receivers back together that they will go back toward running more 11 and fewer 12 personnel, or do you think they absolutely must stay with a healthy dose of 12 personnel, even if that means having Higgins on the sideline or maybe even Jarvis or or Odell at times on the sideline because you want those two tight ends in the game? What should they do, and what do you think they will do? I think that's that's the pickle and kind of where the the rubber has to meet the road here is that you have all of these guys that are such talented football players. You want them on the field as much as possible. So you run 11, you have Beckham, you have Landry, you have Higgins slash Callaway as your wideouts in that personnel group. And then you have, let's say, Njoku, Ricky Stills, Jones, Harris, whoever it is running the tight end. I think, use the words healthy dose, I think you have to find what the right blend is. Because when you sit back in 11, you want your best guys on the field, that's of course, but you can't be predictable out of 11. You can, you can do things with chip blocking if you, if you need to, pre-snap motion, 
to throw the defense out of a predictable format. But I think you also have to bring in that fault because you're so good at it and to just throw the defense out of being comfortable all game long. You know, we're going to sit back at 11. We're not going to do any pre-snap motion. Guy has to beat the guy one-on-one or beat the man coverage that they're in or a zone coverage should it be. I think there should be a blend. Let's not call it the 85 to 90% from weeks one, three. Let's call it 75, 25 or 80, 20 mixture of personnel groupings just to get a little bit of difference in there with still having playmakers at your disposal, if that makes sense. And the second part of that is certainly they have a belief in their receivers. If you're going to run 12 personnel, you have to believe in your tight ends. And once Njoku went out, certainly Demetrius Harris, who's more of a blocking tight end, you know, had that catch in the end zone uh, in the red zone against the Rams, where it would have been a tough catch in double coverage that Baker threw to him, but he didn't come down with it. He also didn't like he wasn't blocking great. Right. But do you think The way Pharaoh Brown and Ricky Seals-Jones played on Sunday, do you think they should and do have more of a belief in their tight ends now, even with Njoku out, that they should feel more comfortable going 12 personnel because they have some guys out there who can block and be threats in the pass game? Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think the performance that Seals-Jones had yesterday, when he had three for 86 and a touchdown somewhere around those figures, and how Pharaoh Brown's kind of come along, I think they've overtaken those top two tight end spots in the time being until Njoku comes out. It could be that 12 personnel, like we were discussing, is just a chance to switch it up, you know, and it, it's a chance to get – you still have Landry and Beckham on the field, and then you still have these two tight ends. Maybe you run more out of that at first, and then you throw in a play action to one of your receivers out of the 12 personnel just to keep things out of balance for the defense. You don't want to be predictable – and I think they have enough confidence in those two tight ends at this point, that's just my opinion, to use it more often than we have seen for the first three weeks. All right, I want to transition a little bit. I want to give a quick plug real quick. Um, we want you guys reading Waiting for Next Year and reading Cody and all the fine writers over there. Make sure you're also reading Cleveland.com. Check out our text project, our project text stuff. You can get Brown's information from Mary Kay Cabot. You get a Brown's Daily Insider newsletter as part of that. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Find out more information. It's a 14-day free trial, four bucks a month after that. That's a daily Browns insider newsletter where you're getting exclusive content in addition to the Mary Kay texts. We talked about Nick Chubb before we came on this podcast. How would you characterize Nick Chubb and his place in the NFL running back pantheon at the moment um, and and – Let's just talk there. How good is this guy in your mind? I think you have to put him in the in the top five, if not top three discussion. You know, you have Saquon Barkley in New York is probably your best overall guy currently. He has he can catch, he can run. He, he's a formidable presence behind now Daniel Jones on that team. Other than that, I mean, off the top of my head, I mean, Le'Veon Bell still plays pretty well, pretty high level. You have your Joe Mixon's. Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, right? Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, I think Zeke's up there. You, could you put him in the three spot, you think, behind Saquon and Zeke with what he brings to that offense, the explosives, the agility, the breakaway potential, the elusiveness? Uh, There's not many guys out there that can do what he does. I will tell you, and, and maybe it's because I'm uh, an oblivious old man who doesn't pay attention. I didn't know for sure that he was that fast. Like that, that 88 yard touchdown run or whatever it was, 
And that was like, okay, like, I know you're good, but holy moly. Like, was that a holy moly moment for you? Or was that more of like, no, that's the Nick Chubb I expect? No, I had no idea about that. You know, I wanted to say next gen, he was the fastest touchdown by a running back this season at 21 miles per hour and some change or something like that. I mean, even Earl Thomas said himself that, oh, I, I didn't go try to tackle Nick Chubb. I didn't want to uh, tear my hamstring. Yeah. You know, I go back to that video I saw today on, uh, I think the Browns released. It was Chubb running down full-fledged, just going at it. And you see Baker coming up behind him in the middle of the field at like 18 miles an hour, you yeah. know, just cheering on his running back. And, I, yeah, I had no idea that Nick Chubb was that fast of a running back. You, so, you, you, yeah. So, let, let me, so let's talk about Nick Chubb usage then. If, I, I think certainly – he is in the top 10 conversation. Um, and then if you really want to start dicing it, I think probably, you know, you put Barkley and Zeke at the top and then you, you end up with a lot of guys that you would take. And on a given weekend, one guy will have a better week, but I think we're still, we're not at the Chubb ceiling. So he's trending the right way in that discussion. Let's talk about usage with him. Um, I feel like again, and, and, and I wrote this after. Uh, the game. I was not at the game in Baltimore. I was in Nebraska um, with Ohio State football this weekend, but I was back on my couch by the time the Browns started on Sunday morning because I was on a 6 a.m. flight. That means I got 90 minutes of sleep, which my old body can't actually handle. So I'm still exhausted, but I'm exhausted for all the football seasons. That's okay. Everybody who covers <laughs> football, you're exhausted during football season. It's like a good kind of exhausted, but football never sleeps and neither do we. I feel like at times during the first three weeks, and this is what I wrote about, I said, oh, the Browns are going to the Super Bowl because they won in week four because I felt like a lot of people wrote them off after the first three weeks, and both of those pieces of analysis are silly. I thought Freddie got some guff for Chubb usage sort of like both ways in the first three weeks that there were some people saying he's not using him enough. Nick Chubb is so good. Why don't you run the ball more? Uh, particularly in the red zone, Freddie admitted that being a mistake against the Rams. But then also I see a lot of people complain if they run him on first down and don't get much, or I think this actually makes sense. They, they, a lot of times they'll, if they take a shot in the pass game on first down and it's incomplete, they'll run Chubb on second down, clearly because they don't want to risk being in third and 10. So they want Chubb to get them four, five, six yards, so at least it's third and short. Did you think, you know, I don't. I guess we don't have to break it up to the first three weeks and then the fourth week. We could just take it all as a group if you want. Do you think Freddie is using Chubb the right way so far, or what would you maybe like to see more or less of with him? I, the usage is close. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, he's a 20 to 25 touch guy per game. Now let's say maybe he gets 20 to 22 carries and three to four catches. I think where I want to see him used more would be in the, in the receiving aspect of the game. You see the guys like the Zeke Elliott's and the Saquon Barkley's that have that talent at their disposal being used quite often. And I think that's one aspect where I'd like to see him get more involved in Freddie's offense. He, we saw it last year, you know, the, the fade pattern from Baker against the, the Cincinnati Bengals where he had that one-hand catch in the end of for a touchdown. He has that ability. Yeah, you want to get guys like your Hilliards on the field and Kareem Hunt when he comes as well. But I think as long as he's getting between 20 and 25 touches with a few catches in the mix, that's the right idea. You don't want to run somebody into the ground obviously, especially somebody of his stature and his his um, figure within the team. So uh, 
so the, I think that's interesting. Let's talk about two aspects of the pass game then. One is it seems like all they ever throw him are screens, and and it's yeah. weird. I feel like they throw him a bunch of screwy screens that like the blocking is off or it's incomplete or they he gets tackled immediately, and they'll run two or three screens with him per game that are just dead before they get started, and they'll run an, and then they'll run another one and it gets thirty yards, and it's the most beautiful right. thing you ever saw. What do you think of of the usage and their effectiveness with him, particularly within the screen game so far? The screen game, when used, is, is obviously an extremely important facet for for any offense. You know, if, let's say you're facing first and 10 from your own 10 or second and 10, third and 10, et cetera, they're going to bring pressure on that offense. You can drop the ball off to your running back and you can get uh, eight to 10 yards or even more. I think with, with Nick, you could also use him in more of a split out, um, a split out role. You could have him run a slant route. You could have him run some crossing routes or some pick routes to get him the ball more often in open space and use his elusiveness and his explosiveness that we've seen um, to use him at his full potential and not just use those little screen dump-offs. It's great to have a safety valve. Like we said, if, if Baker is running those five or seven-step drops and there's pressure coming, it's nice to have that safety valve there to at least get some yards on the play. If not a big play, at least you're gaining some sort of yardage there. So I'd love to see him use more outside of just the screen game and the passing game. Because I'm trying to think, and I have a terrible memory, but like I, there are not many plays jumping to mind for me the first four weeks where they're actually running a route with him, where they're trying to get him singled up on a linebacker and run him 8, 10, 12, 15 yards down the field. I think it was maybe in the Chiefs-Detroit game the other day where I think they they ran like a seam route with their running back, and, and yeah. Mahomes hit him 30 yards down the field. It sounds like you're talking about that you think Chubb would have that kind of ability, and it feels like so far they're not doing that at all. No, I mean, even if we look at yesterday, the plays where he was successful in the passing game was just the screen game or the little drop-off game. I haven't seen him, like you said, off the top of my head. I can't think of one play where he's been downfield. He did line up in those empty backfield sets on the red zone possession against the Rams, which is now infamous, obviously. Uh, but he, he wasn't running any type of downfield route there, obviously. All right, let's transition very quickly to the defense. Um, you're a Joe Schobert fan. A lot of people, I think, so far this year are Joe Schobert fans. I don't know that we're telling anybody – listening to this podcast, anything they don't already know that 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 guy is playing really well this year because he's played really well in the past. I I can't remember what exactly your pinned tweet said, but uh, is there statistical information from your tweet or for something else that you want to convey about Joe Schobert? Or would you just like to take a few minutes and tell the world why you love him? Well, I do love Schobert. And if we look back, I did this last year. I looked at Games where Schobert was in the, the stats where he was in the game and the stats where he was outside of the game. And where Schobert was in on the lineup for the Browns before he was injured, the team had 17.5 pressures per game versus 13.3. The opposing catch percentage was 67.4 versus 71.9. The passing yards per game were 259.5 compared to 332.3. And the yards per reception were 1.9 less. His coverage ability is outstanding. You know, everybody points to the the missed tackles, which we've seen this year. I think he has five to the first four games, but you also have to think he had 17 tackles in that victory yesterday and a sack. I think he's invaluable 
to this team on defense. He has a, a leadership presence. His coverage ability, his tackling ability is fine, even though he does miss some. I think he's one of the players that needs to be extended, hopefully before the offseason. He's that kind of player for that defense. Would you, and again, I, I try to always throw this caveat out here on this podcast. In the past on Takes by the Lake, we've been very heavy on roster building. I think it's, the, I'm fascinated by it in all sports. I've been particularly fascinated by it in this rebuild of the Browns, and people know that. Um, in the middle of a season, it's not the best time to talk about roster building because there's games to talk about. So we just talked about a game for half an hour. But when you think about the guys who they're going to have to make contract decisions on after this season, and I guess what, it's Schobert, Demarius Randall, Rashard Higgins, J.C. Treader, I guess, are the four guys maybe at the top of the list. If I forgot somebody, tell me. But of those four, who would you prioritize? Would Schobert be number one for you in terms of that's the guy you've got to get locked up long term? He has to be, at least be in the conversation. With, with Higgins, I'm worried. Let's say he comes back and performs like the Higgins we know. He's very efficient, makes use of all of his – makes all the targets he receives. I think he'll get paid similar to the wide receiver one, wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver two market. So with, with, with Beckham and Landry and Callaway on the roster, I think you might have to put him outside of the realm just because of the general plausibility of the situation. Then you have Randall, who has played phenomenally well since he moved back to the free safety position. You know, he played corner at Green Bay. He, he was average, just slightly above average there, and he's one of the upper echelon free safeties. He's also going to want to get paid. And then we have Sherbert, who's a tough call as well, but I think it, it, it's going to be a tie for me with Sherbert and Randall 1-2, and I would probably draft a center or go to the free agent market over Trider, even though I love the guy. He's a phenomenal player. He has a great presence, does give up a lot of pressures, hits, or sacks. I think he would probably be number four on my list with Higgins three and then a tie at one with Randall and Sherbert. Wait, 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 wait. Cody, Cody, you forgot. They have their center. Austin Corbett is here. What? How? He's the first (laughs) pick in the second round. They've tried him at every other position on the roster. He is the second. He was picked above, Chubb. I know. I know. Of all all the great draft picks by John Dorsey, he's going to be remembered the most, I think, in Cleveland outside of Baker. For that 33 pick of Corbett, and you're putting him at right tackle, right guard, center, left guard, wherever. You're just trying to find a spot for the guy, and he's awful. He just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it. it, it, I I, I don't understand. I remember watching that draft live at that 33 pick, and I was just flabbergasted at that pick. With all the talent that was on the board, you picked this guy. Obviously, he saw something that he thought nobody else did, which. And it just wasn't there. Was, was correct, and it you just never it never came to fruition for the guy. No, it's I know hard. the second year guy. He's early in his career, but it's not there. Oh, it's you over. Know? No, he doesn't have it. Yeah, he doesn't have it. And and that's the thing. And and not to belabor the point, and I've belabored it at times, but it's just we're not pretending that a draft a general manager has to be perfect in his drafts. But it's just a reminder: yeah. a general manager is not perfect in his drafts. And you know what? If if your choice is you've you've got to take Austin Corbett to get Nick Chubb, that's the trade off. If you say, well, you can replace Austin Corbett and draft somebody else there, but then you're going to lose Chubb as well. You have to draft someone else at 35. I think Browns fans would say, fine, fine, we'll take Corbett. Just make sure we don't lose Chubb. So you know, all yeah, credit. Full for time the, out of ten. 
All yeah. the all credit for the picks you hit, fair analysis and criticism for the picks you miss. But it is, and that's and I, I joked about it in the offseason and I've joked about it on this podcast. Too many good players, Cody. This is what this is going to be when we get to the offseason, a new world for Cleveland sports fans because you know, we know we've seen the Indians lose good players, right? But that's because yeah ownership can't or won't afford them it's not like the 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 good players like want to be here and the indians have the money and just say no like we can't they lose them because they won't pay the money we've seen you know lebron james leave cleveland twice and that's because you know he made choices about his life that cleveland really couldn't do much about but the browns with the way the nfl works are going to be in a position where they're going to have several players that they like that fans like that want to be here that the Browns are going to have to let go because they can't afford them all because they have too many good players. And that is called the price of winning. So we'll get all of that to all of that in the, in the off season in the end, Cody, as we sort of bring this down. And by the way, I think I would put Schobert and Randall, probably Schobert one. I love Randall and I've talked to Randall about this. Um, I love Randall. I just think in this world, with the way the league is working and how good Schobert is in coverage, I think I would go Schobert. And the thing that makes me a little nervous is you've got to draft these guys behind all of them, which is why you hope Sheldrick Redwine can, is ready if Randall goes. You hope Taki Taki yeah. is ready if Schobert goes. Um, you hope Callaway is ready if Higgins goes. You hope you can find a center. But sometimes just if you automatically assume, oh, we could replace him. We'll get someone just as good. It makes me a little nervous. For instance, Taki Taki has flashed and a lot of people really like him. And you spend a third round choice on him. You're assuming he's going to be a starter for you. I would be a little nervous to enter a world of like, oh, we'll be fine without Schobert. Because I think you can make assumptions about someone can do all these things just as well. But to some degree, what he does, his particular skills as a linebacker are not unique, but they're somewhat rare in a passing league compared to kind of what the average linebacker does, right? I mean, when we're talking about his coverage ability, that's his, that's up there with almost anybody. Oh, absolutely. He's, he's top five in, among that position group in coverage every, every single season. And like you said, his importance can't be understated, especially in the evolving passing game and now the involvement of tight ends, especially in this league. He's an extremely valuable player for the defense, and he brings that presence like Jarvis Landry does, where the intangible, the intangible qualities they have are almost important, if not more important, than the tangible qualities they have to the team. All right, so let's look ahead a little bit, and then we'll let you go, Cody, and let you back, uh, let you get back to your life. The, the, when you look at... The, where this schedule is setting up now, um, we, we everybody saw and talked about and knew that the first half of the schedule was going to be more difficult by a lot than the second half of the schedule. When you look at San Francisco, Seattle, and the Patriots coming up next, um, I don't know. Does that should that strike fear into the hearts of Browns fans or with where the way they played against Baltimore? Do you think? That the week four Browns is a reasonable expectation of what fans should expect from the Browns each week the rest of the way. And and do you expect that, you know, should Browns fans be confident going into San Francisco? Should they be confident Seattle coming in here? Should they be confident even going to the Patriots, who certainly have a very good defense but did not look like world beaters against Buffalo? And Josh Allen was throwing the ball all over the place. Baker Mayfield will make some of the throws that Josh Allen missed as the Bills almost beat the Patriots on Sunday. How should fans be looking at these next three games based on how the Browns are looking? 
I think you have to, it comes down to if if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. And I, I want I want to have the hope that after this week four win, we can look back at the end of the season and say, hey, that's that's the time this team turned the corner. That's the time the team we wanted to see all season long for these first it's a young season. The team we wanted to see, we expected to see, came into its own that week four game. They came, they went out to San Francisco. They won against San Francisco. They came home against Seattle. They beat Seattle. And maybe let's say they lose to the Patriots. All of a sudden, you're sitting there. That would put the team at C four and three through the first and the hardest part of your schedule. You're sitting at four and three. And then I saw it was the other day that the last seven of the last nine opponents the Browns face haven't won a game, I believe yet. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to get easier. But if you can come out four and three, or even let's say four and four through the first eight games, the expectation should be there that this is a playoff team. 10 and 6 win, 10 and 6, 11 and 5, win the division, make the playoffs. And I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation to have at this point. And then we're looking at one game here where we beat Baltimore, but that's the potential this team has is to be a division winner and a playoff team, in my opinion. I mean, it is really ridiculous. And again, we all knew it, but it's been really borne out the way this season has started. When you think about the fact that they have two left against the Bengals, two left against the Steelers, which nobody expected that. You did not know the Steelers were going to lose their quarterback and collapse like this. And then one left against Miami and one left against Arizona. I mean, that you can't guarantee any win, obviously. But, man, that's what bothered me a little bit. Well, not a little bit. It bothered me a, a lot about the way some people analyze the first part of the year. It's like, you know, the the Ravens look awesome. They beat Miami and Arizona. Those are yeah, two yeah. free free wins for the Browns that are coming. The Bills started 3 and 0. They beat the Giants, the Jets and the Bengals. Like the Browns get to, you know, like let's see, let's take the schedule into account here. And I know that they penalized themselves into oblivion and lost to a Tennessee team that certainly is not a great team. Um but you know what? Like the Rams and the Ravens, those are two those are two real teams. And so to hang with the Rams and then beat the Ravens, you can see more wins are coming. So um Cody, if the people want to follow you on Twitter, how can they do that? Yeah, my Twitter handle is, is it's Cody Sook, and it's at WFNY Cody. And uh, how long you've been doing this for uh, for waiting for next year with what you've been doing with them? Waiting for next year just started um, a couple months ago, actually. Before that, I, I would kind of ran my own little blog, uh, the Land Review is what it was called, and picked up from there. And now I'm writing with the great guys over at WFNY. Very cool, man. Well, I'm, we're glad to have you on Takes by the Lake for the first time. You are now officially in the Rolodex. And I actually still am an old enough person that I do, like, write down um, people's names. So you, you might literally be in an actual Rolodex. So we'll call on you again down the line, and we appreciate your time, Cody. Um, I, I think this uh, Monday night game is going to be interesting. But, again, the reminder, and I tweeted this out, there's only two teams in the AFC with with, with – I'm sorry. There are three teams in the AFC with better records than the Browns right now. It's the Chiefs and the Patriots who are awesome and the Bills who have played an easy schedule. And everybody else is two and two or worse. So as much consternation as there was about the start of this season for some people, they are right in the thick of where they need to be. It's, it's right there for the taking. Just have to capitalize on it. Cody Sook, we appreciate your time. Great stuff. And we will certainly talk to you again on Takes by the Lake. Appreciate it, Doug. Take care. And that's it for another Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Cody. Thanks to you guys for listening. Drop those iTunes reviews if you so choose. Try the project text, cleveland.com slash browns, to get the Mary Kay Cabot texts and our Browns daily 
Insider Newsletter. I'm sometimes part of that. And try cleveland.com slash OSU for our Ohio State Project texts. Um, yeah, that's me. That's me and your phone a whole lot. So um, I still uh, communicated again recently with the uh, with the big guest um, that we want to have on here sooner than later. A um, little bit of a we'll, we'll do a little different format for that one. We want to we want to delve into the life and times of an interesting person, uh, not just talk about the Browns. But we sure do like talking about the Browns. They're two and two. Monday night is ahead. We'll come back uh, next Tuesday um, and recap that Monday night win and have more interesting guests here on Takes by the Lake. But for now, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks to you guys, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>